Howdy, howdy, folks. I am Father Fred Gatchett, and you are tuned into the Double-Edged Sword program here on our fine family of Divine Mercy Catholic radio stations, KMDG 105.7 Hayes, KGOH 89.1 Colby, KRTT 88.1 Great Bend, KJDM 101.7 Lindsborg Salina, and our flagship station where it all started, KVDM 88.1 Hayes. And here on the Double-Edged Sword program, we are cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. And today, I thought about this a long time ago, that when we go through the Gospels, what I want to do is um, maybe just kind of try to give ourselves some tools here as we're going through the Gospels to look at the questions of Jesus, the questions that Jesus asks. I've come to the conclusion that the, the most dangerous thing to Christianity is not necessarily, you know, the atheists and the communists coming in and rounding up Christians and killing them. Lord knows they did a whole bunch of that in, in, the, in the 20th century. From 1900 to 1999, there was more Christian martyrs than, than all the rest of Christian history combined. But as bad as that is, I think there's something much worse. And the thing that's much worse, I think, is complacency and indifference among Christians that when we get to the point that we go to Mass on Sunday and we hear the Gospel reading, you know, Jesus said to his disciples, like, well, yeah, I've heard that 20 times. And then we just kind of get numbed to the, to the impact and, and the profound meaning of the words that Jesus has. And so what I want to look at are some of his questions. Because again, we look at these, we might hear these questions and think they're, well, they're just rhetorical questions. You know, they're questions that really don't require us to, to think much about what the answer might be. You know, the, the famous rhetorical question, is the Pope Catholic? You know, someone, someone asks a, a question that seems like it just has an obvious answer. You go, well, is the Pope Catholic? Well, well, yeah, you know, I mean, so you don't really have to answer the question because it's so obvious. But Jesus does not ask rhetorical questions. He asks questions that cause us to stop and for a minute and go, hmm, how does that apply to me? What does that mean for, for me in my particular situation in life? And so what I want to do is I'm going to go through some of these questions, and, um, but I'm saving the two big ones for the end of the program. But we're going we're gonna to kind of go through some of these questions and then st- take a minute and stop and think about them and talk about them a little bit and see what our Lord's really asking of us. Mostly I'm going to go from the Gospel of St. Matthew and Mark. Um, There are parallel texts in the Gospel of Luke, and of course John has his um, total other take on things. But again, the idea behind this is just to get us to start thinking so that when we go to Mass on Sunday and we hear one of these questions, or if you read read your Bible on your own, which of course hopefully we're all doing, when you're going through one of the Gospels, and every time you see Jesus ask a question, stop and go, hmm, He's not asking that to that person 2,000 years ago. He's asking that question to me. And how am I going to respond to that question? So here's one, a couple of them from the Sermon on the Mount, um, from the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapters 5, 6, and 7, where you have the Sermon on the Mount. A lot of people wrongly think the Sermon on the Mount is just the Beatitudes from the beginning of chapter 5. But nope, it's all of chapters 5, 6, and 7. And Jesus gives this very long speech. And so Jesus asked the question, If you love those who love you, what recompense will you have? Do not the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brothers only, what is unusual about that? Do not the pagans do the same? 
there. See, he's asking, he's not asking the question, well, he, you know, he did, you know, 2,000 years ago, but that's a question for us. If we love those who love us, how can we go before God and say, you know, hey, I was a good person um, because I love those who love me? Jesus says, don't the tax collectors do the same? In other words, you know, think of the most repugnant person or, you know, group of people you can think of. They love those who love them. But then, you know, when, when Jesus tells us to love our enemies and pray for our persecutors and things like that, I think the, the next question is, well, when Jesus says, love my enemies, then what does that mean? Does it mean I have to have a warm feeling inside and go up and give them a big hug and, you know, tell them I love them and so on? No. To love, St. Thomas Aquinas says, means to will and work for or desire the good of the other. To will, to work for or desire the good of the other. And so, you know, that's going to mean a whole bunch of different things. You know, there might be, you know, somebody at work that I just, I see him at work every day and, and someone says, well, do you love that person? It's like, well, I don't really have any emotions or feelings for them, but if I can say, well, but I, I, I hope the best for them. I, you know, I'll do what I can, you know, to where they, to, to where good comes their way. Then by definition, we love them. Okay. And so if, if we, if we work for and we desire the good of others, then there will be recompense for that, Jesus says. Because if all we do is love those who love us, if all we're in it for is, you know, I, ha I, I have good feelings when I'm around this person, this person has good feelings when I'm around me, anybody can, can claim that. Any godless heathen communist can claim that. But, but, you know, we're called to something better. So again, you know, a question of Jesus. If you love those who love you, what recompense do you have? The tax, do not the tax collectors do the same? So those aren't rhetorical questions. Um, another one, Jesus asked later on in the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or, or, or about your body or what you will wear. Here's the question. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? That's a pretty good question. Again, we might think, well, you know, that's just a rhetorical question. No, it's not. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? We might look at that question and kind of almost laugh at it, but how many of us act, you know, we go through life thinking and acting as if life is just food and clothes. You know, that is to say, all I just kind of live for is the next way that I can, that I can satisfy my physical desires somehow. And Jesus is saying, no, there's, there's much more to it than that. And so again, we, you know, we look at that question and have to, an and have to answer that for ourselves. Then Jesus asks another question in Matthew chapter, in chapter, um, in chapter six. He says, look at the birds in the sky. They neither sow nor reap. They do not gather into barns, yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are not you more important than they? Hmm. You know, the birds of the sky, you know, God sees to their needs. Are we not more important than the birds of the sky? Hopefully we are. And so on the one hand, is Jesus saying, well, then just sit down and wait for God to drop all the goodies in your lap. He's not saying that. Well, of course, we have to work and we have to be productive and, you know, see to our needs and so on. But what Jesus is saying here is that when he, when he talks about God providing for the birds of the sky, it's kind of more of an attitude. He's asking us about our attitude. Is my life, is my attitude about life just about acquiring more for the sake of acquiring more? 
and um, you know, you know, God says when you know, God, Jesus says that God has the creation engineered such that the birds they can get what they need. Um, do they all live in spectacular birdhouses? No, they don't. But they get what they need. And so I think that what you know, that's what Jesus is asking us to, you know, recalibrate our own thinking as to, you know, what is it that we expect out of life? You know, there's a Archbishop Fulton Sheen years ago gave a brilliant presentation on the difference between token wealth and real wealth. And um, it's, under, it's important to understand the, the, the difference between the two. Real wealth is something that I can really use. That's the way you remember it. And so real wealth is a pair of shoes or a house or a gallon of gas or a pound of hamburger. Okay, real wealth is something that I can actually use or eat or, you know, some, you know, put on my, you know, clothes or shoes or whatever. Token wealth is cash, stocks, bonds, gold, silver, things like that. Now, the difference between the two is that real wealth has an automatic stop mechanism to it. Okay, I can only eat so much and I will not be able to stuff another, you know, mouthful of food into my body because I'm just stuffed. I can only put so much gas in my tank and it's full. Now it gets ridiculous, you know, we, we, you know, see these stories on TV about hoarders, you know, and their whole house is just full of junk. But even then, you know, the house can only hold so much junk and then you gotta stop. With real wealth, there's an automatic stop mechanism on it. And so, um, and it, that's what, you know, kind of keeps us from going overboard, at least to some extent. But token wealth is different. Token wealth, gold, silver, stocks, bonds, cash, and so on, you know, no one has ever said, gee, my stock portfolio is just worth too much. Or, oh my gosh, there's just too much money in my savings account. Or, you know, back in the days when people, you know, stacked up gold and silver, you know, I just have too many gold coins. You might notice there's no automatic stop mechanism on token wealth. And so the thing of it is, people can and do end up dedicating inordinate amounts of, of, of our energy and our life to stacking up more and more token wealth, and for what, you know? And that's what Jesus is asking the question about here. You know, that, that, um, that you know, our Heavenly Father feeds the birds of the air, are we not worth more than they are, okay? And then kind of going along with that, Jesus asks another, another question. Can any of you, by worrying, add a single moment to your lifespan, okay? Can any one of us, by worrying, add a moment to our life? And I think that's kind of the same thing. If we're obsessing and worrying about, you know, our token wealth, about how much money I have in the bank or how much my, retire my retirement account is worth, you know, is worrying about it going to generate more money? You know, obviously not. And again, can worrying about all these things that are completely out of our control, you know, that's one of the ways I think that the, the cable news channels, that's the way they sell advertising space and, and put money in their account is by constantly keeping us in this state of anxiety and worry. And, um, and so, you know, we'll, we'll see something on there. Oh, do you, did you see, you know, the president did this, or the Supreme Court did that, or Congress is gonna do this, and how's that gonna affect me? And, and, and so we see these things and then we worry, and Jesus goes, yeah, and after you got through worrying, where'd it get you? what did it do for you? Did it add a single moment to your lifespan? No, it did not. So again, that's a question every one of us should, you know, be willing to ask ourselves. You know, can any one of us, by worrying, add a single moment to our life? And we can't. And so, you know, it's again, Jesus is calling for a recalibration here. All right. In the in the end, 
Then Jesus sums it all up here in chapter 6 saying, So do not worry and say, what are we to eat, what are we to drink, or what are we to wear? All these things the pagans seek. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you besides. So after Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount goes about talking about worrying about all these things, about food and drink and clothing and, you know, again, in our, in our day and age, you know, retirement and, you know, money in the bank, you know, and so on. You know, Jesus says, God knows we need all this stuff. He says, but seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. That means seek first to be in a right relationship with God. And if we're in a right relationship with God, then our mind is going to be recalibrated in a certain sense to where we will, you know, we'll see what's really important and what we should be pursuing and going after. And this stuff will kind of take care of itself to a certain degree. Again, he's not saying, you know, Jesus isn't saying just go out and sit in the middle of a field and, and wait for all to drop out of the sky into your lap. No, we're still going to have to work and, you know, do our, do our part. If we have that right relationship with God, then our desires and wants and so forth will be recalibrated along the line that God wants them. And then it might not necessarily be that we get more stuff unless God wants that to happen. But we'll see that the stuff we have that God gave us is more than sufficient for the, for the day's needs. Later on, whenever Jesus is out in the, in the boat with the apostles and they get caught in a big storm and Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat and they come over and they go, you know, wake up, you know, we're about to die here. And then Jesus asks the question. And Matthew asks it one way and Mark he asks it a little bit different when we look at both of them. And Matthew says, why are you terrified, O you of little faith? Or in the Gospel of St. Mark, he says, why are you terrified? Do you not yet have faith? All right? So again, this kind of goes along with, 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 with worrying. And that is the idea of fear. If you go through the, through the entire Bible, you know, we have the Ten Commandments. Hopefully we know the Ten Commandments. I think there's kind of an eleventh commandment hiding in there. It's not listed with the ten as we find them in the books of Exodus and Deuteronomy. Um, in Exodus chapter 20 is where God gives the Ten Commandments to Moses. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 5, Moses repeats the Ten Commandments for the, for the Israelites. So we have the Ten Commandments. But as you go through the rest of the Bible, there is um, there's another commandment that comes directly from the mouth of God a whole bunch of places. And that eleventh commandment is... Do not be afraid. You know, Pope St. John Paul the Great was, was so taken by that particular exhortation from God that whenever he was first made Pope and he appeared on that balcony in St. Peter's, you know, one of the first things out of his mouth was, do not be afraid. And so here, you know, Jesus is telling us, you know, he asked the apostles, why are you terrified? Do you not yet have faith? Okay, again, th that's not just Jesus just saying something just to say something. He's asking the apostles, what are you afraid of? What do you fear? And see, I think that's a pretty good question for every one of us to ask ourselves. And there, there, actually, there's two questions that go along with that. The first one is, what do we want? You know, Jesus kind of asks that of, of um, the first apostles in the Gospel of St. Uh, John when James and Andrew come looking for him. And, um, and he says, what are you looking for? You know, and, and they, they say, you know, well, you know, where, where are you staying? And Jesus says, well, come and see. Well, what are you looking for? What do you want? I think that's a very good question for us to ask ourselves. What do I want? We're going to get to that in another question here in just a second. But the other one is, what are we afraid of? What 
do we fear? Do we fear that someone's going to file a lawsuit against us and take all of our stuff? Do we fear that someone's going to find out something about us that we thought that we had, you know, hidden away and we thought that, you know, in our in our life that we've been able to pretty much, you know, hide this stuff, this thing way deep down inside of us. And and so that really nobody knows that that I have this particular character flaw or whatever the case might be. You know, what are we afraid of? And so, you know, Jesus says here, do you not have faith? Why are you terrified? He, he's telling us that, you know, these things really aren't worth, you know, getting, getting, getting so worked up about. And, and we'll, we'll talk about here why, why exactly he can say that. Now, um, here's another one from the Gospel of St. Matthew. This is after the, the Sermon on the Mount. But this is when they bring the paralytic to Jesus. And they bring him and Jesus says, Courage, child, your sins forgiven. At that, so the scribes said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. But Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he said, why do you harbor evil thoughts? That's a pretty good question. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk. But that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said the paralytic, rise, pick up your stretcher, and go home. Now, you look at these questions. Just like, you know, in our day and age today, if, you know, say, you know, they, they call the priest to the hospital or, you know, whatever, to somebody's sick room or whatever, and the priest goes in and, you know, says some prayers and gives the person the anointing of the sick, you know, most people would go, oh, that's nice. But if the priest went in and took the person by the hand, you know, say you got someone there that's dying from one of the really bad ones, like stage four pancreatic cancer, which is just a death sentence. And the priest comes in and takes the person by the hand and says, nope, you're done with that. Get up, you know, no more disease. And, you know, heals the person right there on the spot. Most people would go, oh, wow, that's a real healing because, you know, the, the priest healed the person from, you know, some kind of a physical malady. Whereas opposed to if they receive the anointing of the sick, um, then it's like, well, that's nice. You know, they, they said some prayers and, and gave him the last rites. I always like it whenever people say that. That tells you an awful lot about where they are in their faith. But um, they, you know, they, they get their last rites, they get the anointing of the sick, and you know, the, we think, well, okay, that's nice, but what does Jesus say? No, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? In Jesus' mind, the most important thing is the forgiveness of the sins. And um, the reason why is because none of us is gonna be here forever. I always sit there, I always you know, take, take this idea, people you know, want, want to see these miraculous healings and stuff. It's like, okay, let's just take that idea and let's just run with it. Let's say you, know, you have a 15-year-old kid that gets in a, in a terrible car accident and the kid's in the, in the emergency room bleeding to death and everything and you know, some person that has the power to heal, you know, maybe God has entrusted the power to heal to the local parish priest or you know, some you know, person of good reputation and this person goes in to the emergency room and just touches the person and all the broken bones heal, all the bleeding stops and the kid gets up and walks out of the emergency room. Everybody would go, hey, yeah, that's great. Look at that. That person's been healed. It's a miracle and so on. Okay, and it would be. And then we'd all be great, you know, be grateful that the 15-year-old, you know, kind of got a, got a lease on life. But notice, people will say, oh, look, he saved that person's life. No, he didn't save their life. He extended it. Okay. 
he, he, you know, maybe now instead of dying at 15, maybe the kid will die at 85. But the kid's going to die. We're all going to die. No one can save our life. We can extend it, but we can't save it. Now, um, Jesus can save our life because he can get us into eternal life. But let's just keep on running with this 15-year-old kid. So the 15-year-old kid, you know, is, you know, receives this miracle um, from, from whenever, you know, he's in the car wreck. And, and now he gets up and goes about his business. Well, then, say he's 40 and has a heart attack. And so, again, he's in the hospital and the priest comes in, giving the anointing of the sick. Um, the heart attack clears up and, and he walks out of the hospital a new man. And people, oh, that's, that's isn't that wonderful? You know, he, he was having a heart attack. And now he can go back to his wife and family. And we'd say, yeah, great, you know. Well, then, you know, at the age of 60, you know, um, now, you know, the, the, the guy has, a, again, a case of, you know, stage four pancreatic cancer. And, you know, the priest goes in and gives him the anointing of the sick and heals him. And people would go, well, that's great, you know. So he goes back to being a grandpa or whatever he's doing. And, um, and we think, isn't that wonderful? Now the guy's 85 and has a stroke. And so the priest goes in, gives him the anointing of the sick. And now the, you know, the, and the guy gets healed and he goes back to his home and doing whatever he's doing as an 85-year-old. And think, hey, this is great. Now the guy's 115 and, you know, has, I don't know, whatever his people would have at 115. And the priest goes in and gives him the anointing of the sick and the anointing of the sick heals him again. People would go, well, that's nice. Now the guy's 144 and the priest comes in. I think the guy's gonna go, don't let him near me. I'm 144 years old. I've seen everything I wanna see. I've done everything I wanna do. I've said everything I want to say. It's time for me to go on, okay? And so again, that's why Jesus asked this question. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or rise and walk? Which is easier, forgiving sins or healing broken bodies? And the, the, the thing of it is, it's easier to heal a broken body because whenever for, for, for the forgiveness of sins to happen, the sinner has to want to be forgiven. And a lot of the times we've made such friends with our sins, we don't want to be forgiven. We've pretty much, you know, come to the conclusion that, hey, that particular sin, yeah, it might not be the greatest thing, but I'm not, it's not like I killed somebody. And there's a lot of people doing a lot worse than me. And then that's how we rationalize things and, 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 and try to justify our, 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 our sinful nature. And Jesus, that's why Jesus asks a very difficult question. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or rise and walk? It's always going to be easy if you can, you know, to, if someone has the ability to heal a broken body, people are always going to want that. That's easy. But they don't always want to have their sins forgiven. And so, again, that, that question is a very profound question that all of us need to ask for ourselves. Then Jesus asked the question in the Gospel of St. Matthew chapter 10. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a small coin, yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's knowledge? Even the hairs of your head are counted. Do not be afraid. There it is again. For you are worth more than many sparrows. And so again, the idea that, you know, that even the smallest of the critters here on earth, God knows about them, and yet we're important and more important than they are. And, you know, God then sees to our needs. But like I said, you know, we have to be recalibrated 
so to where you know our needs and so forth are in line with um, whatever it is that God in his wisdom wants to give us. Another one here is um, whenever Jesus is talking to the, to the crowds about John the baptizer. And he, you know, whenever they found out that John was arrested and stuff, and you can tell, Jesus is kind of upset here. He says, what did you go out to the desert to see? That's a good question. And then he starts, he starts coming up with some possible answers. What did you go out to see? A reed swayed by the wind? Now, what does he mean by that? He says, whenever you went out to see John, did you go out to see a guy who stuck his finger up in the air and to detect the winds of, of people's whims and desires and so forth? And, um, and then he would then gauge his teachings and so forth based on what's popular with the people? Nope, <laughs> that was not John. And so since you didn't go out to see a reed swayed by the wind, then what did you go out to see? Someone dressed in fine clothing? Those who wear fine clothing are in royal palaces. So you didn't go out to see someone who, you know, who gets drug around by the nose by popular opinion. You didn't go out to see someone dressed in fine clothing. You know, John had his camel's hair and his leather belt around his waist like the prophet Elijah. And then he says, then why did you go out? To see a prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, behold, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way before you. Amen, I say to you, among those born of women, there is none greater than John the Baptist. That's huge. John's greater than Moses. Yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. All right. So, kind of interesting. What did you go out to see? Whenever, you know, a lot of times, you know, people are thinking, well, you know, I'm looking for, you know, a, a person who really has a connection with God somehow. And because my connection with God ain't that great. And a lot of us know people. Usually they're elderly people, and they'll say, oh, yeah, if you're in a bind, you go talk to Clarabelle. Her prayers are powerful. You know, she has an inside, you know, inside track with God. Well, you know, maybe she does, and there's a lot of folks like that. I've known a few folks like that. I'm sure you have, too, and they're great people because they inspire us. But again, it's the same thing. That's what Jesus is saying. Well, then what did you go out to see? You know, when you have these people that have the, what seems like an inside track to God, you might notice these are not people who are going to be led around by the nose by public opinion. They don't really care that much about what they wear. They're not into all the, you know, the details of, of real and token wealth. You know, they're more into righteousness, being in that right relationship with God. And so again, I think you know, that, that question that Jesus asked to the folks back then about John, he's asking us, what, do we go, what are we going out to see? And if we go out to see a prophet, if we really want to see a prophet, someone that can you know, teach us what's, the, what's in the very mind of God, then like John the baptizer, whenever we do get that teaching, either we're going to hear it and we're going to take it to heart and say, well, that kind of stung a little bit because that really you know, brought out some of my you know, character flaws and stuff that I would just as soon not think about. Or we're going to do like Herod or Herodias and we're going to have John's head chopped off. And so again, that's a very important question. What did you go out to see? Okay, now here's another one. Whenever Jesus then, at the, at the multiplication of the loaves and fish, every time at the multiplication of the loaves and fish, you know, Jesus proposes to the, to the apostles, hey, we're out here in the middle of nowhere. These folks have been with me here all day or a couple of days. We got to get them some food. And the apostles always object. Are you kidding? This is a huge crowd, not even with a year's worth of wages or 200 days wages. Could we buy these people enough, you know, enough food to give them even just a little bit? 
And so then Jesus always asks this very question. How many loaves do you have? Go and see. What do you have? I think that's a good question for all of us to think about. Because many times, you know, whenever we're, it looks like we're our back's against the wall and we're, we seem like we have some kind of a unsolvable problem and we're going, oh my gosh, what, you know, I, there's no way I can do this. I don't, I don't have, I'm not smart enough. I don't have the connections. I don't have the, the, the resources and so on to take on this problem. And Jesus, just like with the multiplication of loaves and fish goes, I know you don't. What do you have? How much do you have? Go and see. What have you got? Okay. And see, I think many times we deny ourselves, you know, miracles. We deny ourselves fantastic things because we're, we're sitting there saying, well, I don't have enough. Therefore, it cannot be done. Instead of, I have a little bit. And if I entrust it to the Lord, he can multiply it and do more with it than I could ever imagine for myself. That's the question. That's why Jesus asked that question. How much do you have? What do you have? Go and see. You know, in the, only in the Gospel of St. John, in John's version of the story, we have the detail. Jesus says, well, what do you have? They said, well, there's a kid here. There's a boy, and he has five loaves and two fish. And Jesus says, that'll be enough. Bring it here, you know. And so, again, whenever we find ourselves thinking that, well, there's just no way that I don't have enough energy. I'm just worn out. I'm tapped out at the end of the day. I don't have the... the the brains, I'm not smart enough, whatever. Well, what do we have? And if we take the little bit that we do have and entrust it to the Lord, um, you know, we, we, we see you know, in the scriptures that he can do more with it than we could possibly ever imagine. Now, this, uh, we're gonna take a little break here. And when we come back, we'll, we'll get down to the two really, really big ones. The two really big questions of Jesus Again, I am Father Fred Gatchett. I am the pastor of Sacred Heart Cathedral in Salina, Kansas, and the Vicar General for the Diocese of Salina. And you are listening to the Double-Edged Sword Program here on our fine family of Divine Mercy Catholic radio stations, KMDG 105.7 Hayes, KGOH 89.1 Colby, KRTT 88.1 Great Bend, KJDM 101.7 Lindsborg, Salina, and where it all started, 88.1 KVDM Hayes, here on, uh, on the Double-Ed Sword Program. We're coming to the heart of a deceptive culture. So everybody stay put, and we'll be back in just a few minutes. Hey gang, we are back. I am Father Fred Gatcha, and you are tuned into the Double-Ed Sword Program here on, on Divine Mercy Radio. We've got five radio stations here throughout central and western Kansas. We have 105.7 um, KMDG Hayes, 89.1 KGOH Colby, 88.1 KRTT Great Bend, 101.7 Lindsborg Salina KJDM, and our flagship ship station, 88.1 KVDM Hayes, the voice of divine mercy for all of our listening area here. And we're glad you could tune into Double-Edged Sword this afternoon or this morning or whenever it is you're listening to it so that it's a time for us then to dig into things a little bit deeper than we can just at a normal Sunday sermon because I have a lot more time. And, um, and so on, on this installment of Double-Edged Sword, we've been talking about the questions of Jesus. And that just kind of as a, you know, if you're looking for something to do, maybe, you know, for Lent, or if you're, if you're the type of person that makes a holy hour at an adoration chapel, take your Bible and pick one of the gospels, doesn't matter which one, and start going through it and look for, the, look for when Jesus asks a question. And when he asks a question, don't just go, oh, oh, that's nice. 
Instead, look at that question and think about Jesus looking you straight in the eye and asking you the question, you know, what do you have when we're facing our difficulties in life? And Jesus saying, okay, you're not strong enough. You're not, you don't have enough energy. You're too tired. You know, you don't think you're smart enough, whatever the kid. Well, what do you have? What do you bring to the table? And bring it to me and I'll do something with it. All right. And so again, as we were going through some of these questions in the first part of the program, hopefully, again, my desire is to just kind of give us, you know, sensitize us to where when we're going through the scriptures, if we're reading them ourselves or for Sunday Mass or something, and we hear Jesus ask a question, we're not just letting it, you know, roll off us like water off a duck's back, but instead we're looking at it and go, hmm, what is that question saying to me? And so, um, over the throughout the, the the first part of the of the program, we looked at some of those questions. But I saved the two big ones, the two big questions um, for the second half of the program here. And um, I think these are these are two questions I think that we should um, really really take to heart and think about. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says, "It says then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must first deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it." But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Here's the big question. You ready? What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can someone give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come into his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each one according to what they have done. So here's the two big questions. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can someone give in exchange for their soul? That is to say, throughout history, there have been people who have tried to take over the whole world. You know, Genghis Khan tried it, Alexander the Great tried it, Caesar tried it, Napoleon tried it, Hitler tried it, and so on. And you always have people thinking, well, you know, I, I have this country if I just take another one and another one and another one. Well, again, this is kind of like when we, in the first part of the program, we talked about anointing of the sick. You know, what if we were, if we're able just to extend life indefinitely, before too long, people are going to go, I don't want this anymore. You know, life on earth has been good, but it's time to go to the next phase and don't heal me anymore. I'm ready to go. Well, it's kind of the same thing. What if someone actually succeeded in owning everything? You have someone who either by economic prowess or military conquest, however it is they're able to do it, someone finally succeeds and they own every square inch of land they own every body of water they own every building every house every barrel of oil every ounce of gold someone finally succeeds in owning everything on earth and it's all theirs then what okay now again most of us will sit there and say well i don't want to own the whole world well maybe we don't but Remember last, in the last section, we talked about the difference between real wealth and token wealth. You know, with token wealth, with cash, stocks, bonds, gold, silver, and so on, there's no automatic stop mechanism. We will desire as much of that as we can get. No one's ever going to turn it down. You know, if, if, you know if, if someone has X amount of cash in the bank or whatever, whatever their net worth is worth, and someone comes along and says, well, here, here's 100,000 more. You know, it's going to be the rare bird that's going to go, you know, I really have enough. I don't need any more. 
it, you know, we're going to take it, okay? And so, you know, Jesus asked the question, asked, you know, this very profound question, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his life, lose his soul in the process? So again, you have someone that succeeded in taking possession of every last thing of value on earth. It all belongs to one person, and yet that person ends up burning in hell. What good, what good have they accomplished? What, what have they done for themselves? Absolutely nothing. And in fact, you know, when you, when you look at the, this whole thing about token wealth, about how it doesn't have an automatic stop mechanism on it, there's two other things. You know, with money, there's always two things that are always coupled up with money, aren't there? And those two, there's always money, sex, and power. Okay, and why is that? Because the thing that those three things all have in common is there is no automatic stop mechanism on it. You know, you look at the politicians, you look at people that look for power. You know, do you, do you ever see, you know, uh, someone that, that, that's looking for, to have authority and power in the public forum? Do any of them ever go, you know, I think my sphere of influence is big enough now. Um, I don't really need any more influence, any more power, any more, you know, prestige or so. I've got enough. It never happens, okay? Because that's one of the dangers of power is that there's no automatic stop mechanism on it and people just desire more and more of it just for its own sake. And sexual gratification is the same way. There's no automatic stop mechanism on it. And we look at how you know, huge parts of our culture are you know, imploding upon themselves based on this idea that um, you know, if, if I can just have you know, more sexual pleasure, then I'm eventually gonna arrive at a point of being self-actualized or whatever you know it's like I, you know, I, I, I finally arrived I finally found you know I, I finally found where I have enough of whatever it is that, that makes that brings me pleasure to where now I'm satisfied and it never works that way and so again with with those three things money sex and power there's no automatic stop mechanism on it and Jesus says you know what good does it do to get it all and yet you lose your soul what can anyone give in exchange for his soul well, the answer, of course, is nothing. But the thing of it is, it's not a rhetorical question. I mean, Jesus doesn't ask the question, what can someone give in exchange for their soul just to hear us say nothing? What he's asking us is, what are we trying to give in exchange for our soul? Okay, that is to say, what am I, what am I willing to trade my soul in for? You know, throughout history, there's good old Faust, you know, the guy that makes the deal with the devil. You know, people that would sell their soul to the devil if they could have money, sex, and power is basically what it comes down to. And so again, you know, Jesus, he's not asking the question, what can I give for my soul? But he's asking the question, what am I trying to exchange for my soul? What am, what am, I, what am I selling my soul out for? And, um, you know, is, is it a bankrupt ideology of some kind? Is it a, am I selling my soul out, you know, so, so again, so that I can have more money, sexual pleasure and power and, you know, prestige and honor and so forth? Um, those things, are, they're, a, they're a dead end road. And so, again, you know, Jesus says, the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and he will reward each one according to what we have done. That's what we need to be looking for. Instead of seeking, you know, these other things, and so on, instead of seeking to own the whole world. And again, every, I'm sure everybody listening to my voice is saying, I don't want to own the whole world. What are you talking about? Well, we might not want to own the whole world, but again, with, with token wealth and with sex and with power, since there's no automatic stop mechanism on it, what are we doing to moderate our desire for those things? Because if we're not moderating our desire, we're gonna spend our entire life 
trying to accumulate more and more and more of it and you know the the world is not enough you know i mean if if someone finally did succeed in owning everything on earth then what are they going to do want to own everything on mars i mean where's it going to stop and again that's 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 kind of the danger of, of, of token wealth my last one now here is the biggie this is the big one in the gospel of saint mark and the gospel of saint matthew you know jesus is talking with his disciples and on the way he asked the question who do people say that i am and they said in reply john the baptist others elijah still others one of the prophets and then jesus asked them but who do you say that i am peter said in reply you are the messiah the christ the son of the living god okay now that is as christians the question that every one of us has to stop and answer and answer correctly like saint peter did because you know jesus says you know like if you go around just in the in the culture at large and you ask, you know, well, who is Jesus? I remember when I was in, when I was in college at K-State, we had a guy who was a management science teacher. He was a pretty good guy. He was an Air Force veteran and had gone off and, and um, after he got out of the Air Force, he was 20 years in the Air Force, got his um, doctorate in management science and then wanted to come back. I guess in the Air Force, he was always dealing with, you know, young Air Force recruits and he always kind of liked dealing with people our age, is what he told us. And, um, and so, you know, dealing with 18, 19, 20, 21 year olds, um, which would be the age of a lot of people coming into the Air Force. Well, now he was gonna go back and teach college where he could, you know, deal with people of that age all the time. And he was pretty good at it. Anyway, he was talking about management science in a class and it was a pretty good class. And he was talking at one time about ethics and management and dealing with people and treating people fairly and correctly and so on. And, and he was dancing around all these ethical issues, trying to come up with a reason why we should be ethical and moral and compassionate, you know, and if we're going to have positions in management, we have people that we're going to be, you know, basically the boss of. And, um, and finally, just kind of in a moment of exasperation, he says, you know, he goes, all we have to do is just follow the teachings of the man from Galilee and we'll be fine. Okay. And I thought, you know, that was, if he tried doing that today at K-State, I'm sure he'd be fired. But back in, you know, 1984, you could do it and get away with it. But, you know, again, he was saying if we follow the teachings of the man from Galilee in dealing with other people and treating people, you know, loving our neighbor as ourself and, you know, doing unto others as we would have them do to us and so on, you know, then we'll do fine. Well, well and good. So who do people say that I am? Well, some people say that you're a good teacher, Jesus. Yeah. Um, other people say that you gave good example. Uh-huh. Yeah, but who do you say that I am? Because if our answer to that question who do you say that I am? If all I can say is, well, you know, Jesus is a nice teacher. He taught us all kinds of nice things. Then if that's it, I carry, listen to folks. If Jesus is just a good teacher, I don't need him and you don't either. Okay. Because there are lots of good teachers out there. Gandhi was a good teacher. Moses is a good teacher. You know, you know, Buddha is a good teacher. There's all kinds of good teachers out there that can teach us ways to get along with people and, you know, seek out a certain modicum of, of happiness in this life, okay? But, like I said a minute ago with, you know, talking about the, you know, the, the person that gets their life prolonged, you know, if you have someone that's in a terrible accident when they're young and due to a miracle or due to modern medicine, they sew them up and patch them up and, and they go, oh, look, they saved that person's life or, you know, you have a, 
a you know four-year-old kid that falls into the swimming pool and is going to drown and someone jumps in and pulls him out and say oh look you saved the four-year-old's life no you didn't save his life you extended it instead of dying at four now maybe he'll die at 84 you know which is great you know nothing wrong with that but the only one who can save our life is our savior and that is jesus christ he's the one that can save us from rotting away forever in the grave and promise us, you know, give us the promise of rising victorious over the grave and living forever, you know, with him in his kingdom in heaven. That's what it means to be a savior. A savior can save our life. Anybody else can, you know, on, on earth, and someone on earth, you know, might be able to extend our life, um, maybe even by quite some time, maybe by a number of years, you know, a number of decades, but they cannot save us, okay? And so again, whenever um, Jesus asked the question, of, of, of the apostles. Who do people say that I am? Well, John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the prophets, you know, yeah, Jesus, you know, he's a prophet. He's a good teacher. He, you know, he, he gave us, you know, good, good morals and ethics and so on. Well, that's all true. But if that's all it is, I don't need him and you don't either. Okay. We need a savior. Who do you say that I am? Peter said in reply, you are the Messiah. You are the savior. You are the Christus. You are the anointed one of God, the son of the living God. You know, Peter gets it right. He understands Jesus for who and what he is. He is the one that can save us. And so again, when you look at these questions, you can see that there's more to these questions than just an off the cuff, simplistic, you know, answer, you know, that this is just kind of some kind of rhetorical question that doesn't need an answer or the question is very simple. No, when Jesus asked, you know, the, the apostles, who do you say that I am? then the way we answer that question, if like Peter, we answer the question and say, you are the Messiah, you are the savior, you're the one that can save me from eternal death. If we say that and if we mean it, that has tremendous implications on our life, on the way we're gonna live our life, on, the, on who we're gonna spend time with, who we're gonna, what we're gonna spend our money on, what we're gonna dedicate our life to and so on. If we, if we say like Peter, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, if we answer that question like St. Peter did, that has tremendous ramifications throughout the rest of our lives. It's not just a, a simple catechism answer to some question, you know. And so again, you know, in this, in this installment of Double-Edged Story, being been kind of going through some of the, the, the questions of Jesus, there's no way we could do them all. I, I could do a whole series of Double-Edged Sword programs on going through and and on going through all the questions of Jesus, um, it's quite the deal. But it, my, again, like I said, my goal or my, my purpose behind this particular program is so that when we're listening to you know, readings at Mass or if we're reading the, the Bible for ourselves at home or you know, at an adoration chapel or something like that, when we come across those questions, don't just glance over them. Don't brush over them. Stop. Whenever we see a question mark and the, the question, what comes before the question mark came out of the mouth of Jesus, imagine him looking us straight in the eye and saying, who do you say that I am? What good does it do you to gain the whole world and lose your life in the process? You know, think about those questions that Jesus is asking and rather than just envisioning him asking, you know, what can any of you by worrying add to a single moment of your life? You're not going to, you know. And so I think that if we, if we look at those, at those questions and consider them as, you know, Jesus looking us in the eye and asking the question, 
then those questions are going are to resonate at the core of our being, and we're going to see them for as important as they are. Again, I am Father Fred Gatch, and you've been listening to the Double-Edged Sword Program here on the Divine Mercy Catholic radio stations of KMDG 105.7 Hayes, KGOH 89.1 Colby, KRTT 88.1 Great Bend, KJDM 101.7 Lindsborg Salina, and our flagship station KVDM 88.1 Hayes. And here on the Double-Edged Sword Program, as we take some time to cut the heart of a deceptive culture, we always invite you to visit our website at dv, that's V as in Victor, dvmercy.com. And on our website, you will find archived um, um, installments of the Double-Edged Sword Program, as well as the One Body Program. There's the ever-important Donate button. Um, I always kind of remind folks once in a while at the end of the Double-Edged Sword Program, I don't get paid for doing this. In fact, it's the other way around. I pay so that I can do it. I support this station. Every carathon, I write a check and um, try to keep the keep the station on the air. We got five stations now, and so we're reaching out and, and touching more people um, than ever. I think that it's important to understand that this is the work of the Holy Spirit. And the beauty of Catholic Radio is is that those airwaves get out there and someone's you know, surfing through their channels on, on, in their car, and all of a sudden they hear something on Catholic radio, and they stop and they start listening. Um, this is a tremendous evangelization tool. A lot of times you know, people will get in, getting into religious discussions or maybe even arguments, and they're going, dang, I don't really know how to say it. I don't know how to answer it. I'm not really that articulate. Don't worry about it. Let Catholic radio do the talking for you. Um, if you're in a discussion with someone, say, look, you know, I really don't know but, you know, here, you know, we, we live in, in, in Colby, Kansas, turn into 89.1, 89.1 KGOH. Or here in Hayes, turn into 105.7. Or in Great Bend, turn into 88.1. Or in Lindsburg or Salina, turn into KJDM 101.7. Listen to Catholic Radio and just challenge people. You know, give it, listen to it, just listen for an hour. And if you want to sit down and listen for a whole hour, start to finish, go right ahead. Or 15 minutes here, 10 minutes there, but give it an hour and see what happens. And so again, um, you know, Catholic Radio has been a, a tremendous tool. I know that um, a lot of times, I've shared this story a number of times, that I'll be sitting in the confessional on Saturday afternoon and, you know, someone comes in and says, well, bless me, Father, it's been 26 years since my last confession, but I was listening to the Catholic Radio station and it's time. And so again, you know, we, we invite you to um, tune in to, to Catholic Radio whenever you can, wherever you can. Check us out on our app. We have the Divine Mercy app. And um, I'm not the most technologically savvy guy in the world, but I know how it works. I can download the app on my phone, and then when I'm in my car, if I'm outside the listening area, I can just you know hook up my phone to my car, and I can listen to Divine Mercy Radio wherever I'm at. And so again, um, we invite you to take advantage of these various tools that are at our disposal for evangelizing the word of Jesus Christ. So again, I thank you for tuning into this installment of Double-Edged Sword. Um, again, check us out online, check out our app, and um, feel free to, um, to refer others to, turning into, to tuning into Catholic Radio and the benefits that they can receive from that. So we'll see you on the next installment of Double-Edged Sword. In the meantime, goodbye and God bless. <laughs>